Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a joy and a pleasure to join you. Um, I want to reciprocate some love for my brother Jared as well. You know, we did play basketball after a midweek uh, uh, gathering, and um, man, he's also a very good player. But I also want to be upfront and honest. I don't want to embarrass him, but um, I also learned that he's not a Christian on the basketball court. Um, <laughs> He was pretty brutal. Um, the whole love everyone always is a marketing scheme, and uh, he's more like block Eugene always. Um, I'm like, hey man, it's Asian American Pacific Month. You don't do that to me on this month. Um, anyways, uh, again, I'm so delighted to be here and continuing this series, very important series, and I want to just kind of put it out there about what we're talking about, and it's a heavy topic. And it's the topic of forgiveness. Now, the reason why this has to be an essential conversation of this series, and to be honest with you, it's something that we need to be talking about more and more. It's because every single one of us we understand the reality, the necessity. It's real life for every single one of us. Now, on occasion, there might be a Sunday where a preacher might be talking about a particular subject, and you might check out and you'll say, "Well, this doesn't really apply to me." It's possible. It's happened to me. This is not one of those Sundays. Here's why: Every single one of us, we have been wounded, and if we're honest, we've also wounded others. Every single one of us have been wronged, and we've wronged others as well. Now, by chance, if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, "Nope, that's not me," then we have a new series launching next month called "I'm a Liar." <laughs> Make sure you come back for that. It'll be really convicting. So, with that in mind, there's two scripture passages that we want to wrestle with today. The first one is from Colossians, and the second one is from Matthew. Colossians chapter three, verses twelve to seventeen. Listen for God's word. Therefore, as God's chosen people, just think for a second. Therefore, as God's chosen church, as God's chosen family. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since, as members of one body, you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed. 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. Our second passage, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 22. This is from the New King James Version, says this. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, earlier I shared with you that one of the reasons why we're having this conversation is because this applies to every single one of us. It applies to our individual lives, our relationships, our family, our church, our larger society. If we're honest, this conversation is very relevant in our family because while we may love our families, if we're honest, sometimes we actually wound those who are closest to us. We actually end up being wounded because we know each other. Sometimes we know the buttons in order to push, to hurt and maim other people. It's not just a one-time thing or a two-time thing, but it actually begins to escalate and build. And rather than a culture, now I'm going to say that word culture numerous times in our sermon today, rather than a culture of forgiveness and grace and love, if we're not careful, we end up creating a culture of toxicity, of hurt, of pain, of woundedness. So that's the reason why we're speaking about it. The second reason why this is a very important conversation is because Jesus talks about it. He speaks about it, teaches about it, preaches about it, not just once, but on numerous occasions. It's not even a suggestion. He's not saying, you know what, Uh, you should, when you're up to it, when you're feeling like it, forgive. It's actually a commandment. And when we read the totality of the scriptures in the Old and New Testament, the word forgive or forgiveness, it's actually throughout the word of God. Now, I want to just focus on the New Testament just to kind of prove my point to you that we're talking about forgiveness. And it's not because this is about pop psychology. It is biblical. It's about the heart of God. It's about Jesus' desire for you to experience wholeness and flourishing. Now, for the word forgive or forgiveness, in the New Testament, in the Greek, there are two words that it uses to define or describe forgive or forgiveness. It's one of the reasons why I chose Colossians and Matthew. In Colossians, the word that it uses is charizomai. It appears 27 times in the New Testament. You might not know this, but you actually might be familiar with this word already. Some of you have a child, or you may know someone that is named after this Greek word. This word charizomai comes from the word charis or charis, which can be spelled in these two ways, charis or charis. And what does it mean? It means grace, to extend grace to someone, to extend favor to someone. 
And here in Colossians, that's what Paul is saying to the church in Colossae. The scripture from Matthew uses this word, aphiomi. It appears about 150 times, and most of them occur in the Gospels. Here's Jesus, and I think the best translation for the word aphiomai isn't necessarily to extend grace. It's to let go. To let go. My point is, this invitation to forgiveness is not something that we just experience in our life. It's something that Jesus and the scriptures are constantly speaking to you, not as suggestions, but as a commandment for you. Now, we're going to learn why. Now, as we dive into this particular topic, I think it's going to be really helpful for us to name some of the mistakes that we make, particularly as Christians, when we're talking about forgiveness. I want to talk about three mistakes. The first mistake that we make is that while we acknowledge that it's biblical, it's something that Jesus is commanding us to do, we are making a grave mistake when we diminish, when we disregard someone's woundedness or their pain. Here, I'll give you an example. Even by using nice Christian language, if we're too flippant about calling someone to forgive, especially over a pain that you inflicted on someone else, you're actually dehumanizing, diminishing someone's real pain. As an example, when we say, you know what? Just get over it. Forgive. Just suck it up. Forgive. Just pray about it. Forgive. And maybe you've heard some of those suggestions I have. And it's deeply painful because I feel like that person is altogether diminishing, disregarding the actual pain that we're going through. I want you to know That in our relationship with God and even as a church, there has to be room for us to grieve and mourn and lament. I want to be honest with you. I don't know your story and vice versa. You don't know the pain in my life. I'm not going to tell you, just get over it. But I do want to draw your attention. I want to point the way to Jesus Christ who loves you, who understands you. This Jesus who actually enters into our human life, our human situation, our human pain. The second mistake that we can make is the opposite of number one. If number one is to diminish the pain, number two is that sometimes we allow a pain to overshadow the real invitation that God is still inviting us to forgive. We can hold these two things in tension. So no matter what situation you're going through, your marriage, your family, your situation with parents or children, yes, Jesus cares for you. It's important for you to be honest about the pain that you've experienced or that you've inflicted upon other people But I pray that you and I would never forgive or never forget the invitation 
to forgive. Here's the third mistake that we can make. This is really key and it's so important. Sometimes we think forgiveness is the exact same thing as reconciliation. Friends, reconciliation is a process. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a two-time thing. It's not just do these three steps and there will be perfect restoration, reconciliation, and everything will be kumbaya, hunky-dory. If I'm being honest with you, not only will it take long, there may be situations where full restoration, reconciliation might not be possible on this side of heaven. But I can tell you this with absolute conviction. Reconciliation, as messy as it might be, is never possible without the courage to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. So why is forgiveness so difficult? It takes courage and bravery. Why is forgiveness so challenging? The reason why, and let's just name it, is because it contradicts our human, rational understanding of what fairness looks like. See, every one of us, we want fairness. So what does that look like? If someone wrongs me, I think what's fair is I'm going to wrong you. If someone punches me, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. That doesn't seem fair. It's the kingdom of God. But what seems humanly fair from our perspective is if someone punches me, I want to punch back. If someone steals from me, I want to steal back. If someone slanders me and gossips about me, if we're being honest, humanly honest, I want to slander and gossip against that person. You see what I'm saying? Forgiveness is challenging because it contradicts our human understanding of fairness. This is why we have to pause for a moment and just say that following Jesus is not an easy thing to do. Following Jesus requires us to give up of our lives, to say yes to Jesus and less of me, more of the kingdom of God and less of my agenda. And the list goes on and on. C.S. Lewis, a well-known theologian writer, he has this to say about forgiveness. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something or someone to forgive. Does not that make sense? Like as we're sitting here, if you're not wrestling with forgiveness in your heart right now, biblically, theologically, we're like, oh yes, it's a beautiful thing. Let's sing about these songs. But if we have to experience this, it's one of the most challenging things that we can do. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate forgiveness in our lives? How do we build a culture of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy, of love in our lives? Well, as we do here at church, we need to go to the word of God for wisdom. We need to go to God's word. And so I want to draw your attention to the gospel of Matthew chapter 18, 
verses 21 to 22. Now, I want to read this for you one more time. Because we want to spend some time breaking this passage down. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. Then Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, Peter says seven times. It's really interesting. We're introduced to three things going on here. We're introduced to Peter in our passage. We're introduced to Jesus. And there's no rabbi per se with the exception of Jesus. But there is a popular teaching that I believe Peter is thinking about as he asks and answers the question. We'll get to this. When Peter comes to Jesus, I want you to use your imagination. He's coming to Jesus, I think, with a lot of confidence, maybe some arrogance, He asks this question and he actually answers his own question because he's wanting affirmation and commendation. Do you ever have any friends where they'll ask you a question, but they don't give you time to answer? They'll answer it themselves. This is what Peter's doing. He asks the question and I think almost immediately he says up to seven times. And I could just imagine He's puffed with spiritual arrogance. Now, why would he have spiritual arrogance? It's because during the time of Peter and Jesus, New Testament and also Old Testament, specifically rooted in the book of Amos in the Old Testament, there was a very popular teaching among rabbis, among spiritual leaders, directors and pastors and Pharisees, that taught that you had to give or forgive someone up to, wait for it, three times. That was your spiritual obligation. So here's Peter going, I'm going to double up plus one. I mean, he's feeling so good about himself and he goes to Jesus and as Jesus often does, he just blows their mind. Blows their mind. He says what? He says 70 times 7. Folks, you don't have to be a math physicist or an Asian pastor to know that this is 400. Hey, it's Asian American Pacific Islander month, all right? That this equals 490. Now, this is really important. This isn't the actual answer. Jesus isn't saying that you're only obligated to forgive someone 490 times. Can you imagine if Jesus is up on the throne of heaven next to God the Father with the clicker on your life? That would be pretty scary. Click, Eugene, you're now at 2,436 for this month. Can you imagine if we were invited to live in relationship, in church, in family, in marriage with this kind of a counter? 
Can you imagine if, for example, for those that are married, you're having conversation with your spouse and your wife says to the husband, dun, dun, dun. My forgiveness app tells me that you're at 437. Be careful. I mean, we laugh, but can you imagine the absolute antithesis of freedom, of flourishing, a culture of grace and mercy and love? So what is Jesus actually saying when he says 70 times 7? Well, for the rabbi, the popular teaching of the time, even for Peter, this would be just out of the world. But Jesus is actually saying the kingdom of God, this whole concept of forgiveness is a reflection of God's love for you. God's love for you, God's mercy for you, God's grace for you is not capped at 490. The number seven in the Bible, some of you may know, has some significance. Seven symbolizes completion. Seventy symbolizes spiritual perfection. So there are some scholars who believe that this union of 70 times 7 is Jesus saying it is eternal. That God's love and mercy and grace for you has no east, west, north, and south. It is deep and profound and magnanimous. This is God's heart and love for you. Now, for some of the additional folks that love history, there are additional scholars who would say, in addition to this, they believe the 490 is also significant because this number captures the number of years the Israelites lived under bondage and slavery. And these scholars say that this is Jesus also saying not to diminish the real pain the real woundedness, the real injustice, but that the mercy of God is greater than any evil, any pain, any woundedness that we may have experienced in our lives. And this is good news. So how do we do this? How do we then look at Forgiveness not as a three-time moment, not as a transactional thing, but how do we build this culture of forgiveness? Well, I want to tell you, it's not possible alone. You can't do it by yourself. It's not humanly possible. I'm not trying to diminish your strength and your courage and your bravery and your knowledge. I just think that forgiveness requires a spiritual, divine, supernatural work. That's the reason why in Colossians chapter 3, it's very, very notable that there is a very heavy emphasis on Jesus on the Spirit, on God the Father. 
For example, verse 15 says what? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Verse number 17 says, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. Sing psalms, hymns, songs in the spirit. Verse 14 says, put on love because God forgave you. This is so important for you and I to take a moment and just say, God, I can't do this alone. I can't thrive in this marriage, in this relationship with my children, my siblings, my parents. I need you and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But it's not just knowledge. It's not just Bible verses. It's not just theology that we're able to somehow intellectually process. You and I, we have to experience God's love and forgiveness. In our hearts, in our minds, in our very souls, every single one of us, we need to experience this. And here's the thing, not just once, but every single day. I made a decision to follow Jesus when I was 18 years old. On that day, I said, Lord, would you forgive me? I want to experience your profound love and forgiveness in my life. But I can't on this day just look back at that moment and say it was a one-time thing. Every single day, I want to come to my God, my Father in heaven, my Lord Jesus. I want to confess my sins. I want to receive the forgiveness of my God. And I want to experience his mercy and his grace. Listen to what the Bible says, friends. The Bible says that while you and I were still living in sin, living in rebellion against God, God sends his only begotten son for us. There is no Christianity without forgiveness. We cannot know God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, unless you and I are building, bathing in a culture of forgiveness. Now, why am I saying this? Because sometimes the most difficult person to forgive Wait for it. Listen carefully. Sometimes the most difficult person to forgive is yourself. There might be some of you here right now, today. You have these bricks, these humongous, heavy things that you've placed upon. It's on your shoulder. It's on your head. You've concealed it in your pockets, but you're carrying this. Maybe you've made mistakes. You've hurt others. You've wounded others. There are things that you've done in your life that you're so ashamed of. Do you know that God knows everything about you and still loves you? He's still pursuing after you. If we're honest, sometimes we're more enamored by trying to project an image to others. And so we try to conceal some of this pain. Like, for example, if you were to look at my uh, Instagram page, my life looks absolutely perfect. I look so tall in every selfie that I take. It's really easy. You got to put it in a certain 43 degree angle. But if we're honest, 
Some of us need to experience God's radical, liberating grace and forgiveness in your life. I've heard it too many times, and so I need to speak about this today. I've met too many Christians or those who are wrestling with Jesus. Maybe someone here today, they'll say, you know what? I'll get to Jesus. I'll go to Jesus, but I first need to take care of myself. I first need to fix myself. I first need to clean myself before I get to Jesus. Friends, Jesus is the great liberator. Jesus is the great forgiver. Jesus is able to cleanse you as white as snow. Jesus is the lover of your soul. Imagine the crazy nonsensical rationality of, I'm going to enter the shower, but first I need to clean myself. It doesn't make sense. Come to Jesus. Let Jesus forgive every single one of you. Now, why does this matter? You need to experience God's forgiveness because as C.S. Lewis says, listen to this wisdom. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You see, when you receive and experience God's love and forgiveness, that's what empowers you to extend mercy and kindness and grace and love and forgiveness to other people. That's how we build a culture of forgiveness. We do it once, twice, three times, and we continue to do it because that's the heart of God. What's the opposite of Jesus's vision for our human flourishing? Well, the opposite, I believe, is when we, in our human power, rather than forgiveness and grace, we're playing some kind of a Jenga game where instead of forgiveness, mercy, and grace, we're building anger, We're building bitterness. We're building cynicism. We're building all kinds of things that are contrary to the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But we feel like we can play the game. We can conceal this. But I believe one way, one way or the other, if we're not careful, This is not sustainable. It's not God's desire for your flourishing. Maybe I need to kind of add to this illustration to drive the point. Uh, I need some help from some of you here. If you have a bag or a purse or a backpack, if some guys here have a, a fanny pack, don't be embarrassed. Uh, if you can bring that up to me. Uh, I need about four to six people to bring up some stuff. Can you do that for me? Great. Thank you so much. Great. Oh, my, wi- oh, my wife would love this. Thank you. Um, uh, I, need, I need a few more bags, please. Can you come up? Yeah. Guys, don't be ashamed of your supreme fanny pack, please. Okay. Thank you. Guys, children, youth, anyone else? I need one more bag, if you don't mind. One more bag. Okay, woo. These are great donations to the care center. Thank you. You guys are so generous. 
Um, yeah, I'll take that. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> All right. So think about this. We might not advertise this or tell this to every single person, but when we choose not to forgive others, when we choose not to ask for forgiveness because we know that we've been a part of wounding others, what we end up doing is we take these metaphorical bricks that are heavy and we place them in our compartments of our lives. And I want you to imagine, oh my goodness. I want you to imagine the weight of just holding this in your life. I want you to think about how difficult it would be that when you choose to to not extend mercy and honesty and vulnerability, next thing you know, you're adding All along, you're presenting a certain front to others. But you know in your heart, there's such a weight. For me, it was for years, for nearly 30 plus years, having such anger and bitterness against my parents. It's not because they're horrible parents, but I grew up not hearing the words, I love you. I was 38 years old when I heard those words for the very first time. And it caused such a a pain. It was the, the performance culture of our family. It hurt me so much that I felt like their love for me was contingent on my grades. About 15 years ago, I made a horrible decision and I made a financial decision for our family with the best of intentions, the best of intentions, but guess what? I did not choose to tell my wife. Now, I don't have to go into the specifics, but you know what I did? I wounded her because I broke a promise that we made to never have secrets. And I had to go honest and confess and ask for her forgiveness. But here's what we're doing. We're trying to experience our life in this fashion. We're trying to engage in parenting, loving and honoring our parents, engaging in the workplace. We're trying to be involved in a flourishing, life-giving, mutualistic marriage. And it's all like this. Can you imagine me teaching With this, listen to the wisdom of Anne Lamont, who was a visitor at Willow some years ago. She had this to say about forgiveness, and it is straight to the heart. She says, not forgiving someone is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, yes, this reflects the heart of God. But the reason why he's commanding us is because God, who knows you, who created you, who knows everything about you, desires for you to experience freedom and flourishing. Today, what does this look like for you?
Well, perhaps for some of us today, it just begins with just acknowledging that you have bricks, a heart of stone. For some of you, it may mean one word in your prayer, help. I want you to know the word help is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength and courage. Help in prayer. Help going to the prayer rooms after service. Help going to your pastoral leaders or elders. Help going to therapists that can encourage you and assist you. For some of you, maybe that means you need to name it. You need to name that specific thing, that specific someone, that specific act. Name it. Bring it to Jesus. For some of us, it may mean that we take one step. What's that one step? Maybe it's calling that person. Maybe it's visiting that person. Maybe it's What's that one thing? You see, after a while, one, two, three, four, ten, twenty, seventy, four, ninety onward, that's the culture that you're building in your own life. We can do this because Jesus has showed us the way. And I pray, friends, that you would experience this flourishing. Forgive as Christ forgave you. God, we thank you so much for your amazing love, grace, and mercy. God, I want to give my brothers and sisters here just a moment to pause and to have a conversation with you. Friends, would you pray and share, listen, what might be that one thing for you? Lord, we confess to you our sins. And we thank you that you are a good, gracious, forgiving, loving Father. God, we also say, help. We need you. We need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would do by your power and grace that which we cannot do alone. Would you break through? 
Would you allow forgiveness and vulnerability and honesty? Would you allow for courage to ask for forgiveness? And God, we have the courage and the audacity to even pray that forgiveness would lead to reconciliation. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.